The following podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network. Find all the shows by visiting bluecollarroots.com. You found the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Here's the host, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. We're trying to create better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians. To do this kind of work and to have a difference and make an impact, you have to have a business. You run a business through people, with people. So in today's show, we turn to the topic of entrepreneurism or running your own business. So if you're curious what it takes to become an entrepreneur or a business owner, we're going to talk today about that topic. I have on my show Tersh Blissett, who runs Icebound HVAC and Refrigeration, Brian Orr from Kalo Services and the HVCR School Podcast. Also, Tersh runs his own podcast called Service Business Mastery. We're all part of the Blue Collar Roots Network. And myself, Bill Spohn from True Tech Tools. We're going to discuss what it means to run our own businesses. And we take this wide-ranging discussion across many different avenues, many different topics. And I think there's some really good nuggets of information that you can glean from this conversation. So I hope you enjoyed as much as I did talking with these fellows. We're going to talk about entrepreneurism next on the Building HVAC Science Podcast. I saw a meme on Facebook today. I guess I do a lot of reading on Facebook lot of stalking and snooping around, things like that. It said, owning a business is like riding a lion. You might have seen this. People think, wow, that's really brave. But in the meantime, you're like, how the hell did I get a lion and how do I keep it from eating me? <laughs> so it's very true. Does that at all echo how you feel about being an entrepreneur? Yes, very much so. I was listening to one of Brian's episodes late yesterday, day before yesterday. He quoted a quote that I've heard before and I like it. And it's, he jumped off the cliff and started to build the airplane on the way down. That's the way that I feel like I do things. And it's like, there's no instruction manual. There's no nothing. You just start building it after you jumped off the cliff and hope for the best. Yeah, I relate to that statement with the lion completely. I, I've shared that on social media before because I think anybody who has started something that isn't fully formed, which most businesses aren't fully formed, when you start them, you go through this curve where initially you have to do a thing. Being in business isn't just being a businessman. I think some people think that. I mean, that's the old, what is that? Is it Dr. Dre who said that or Jay-Z who said, I'm not just a businessman. I'm a business man. That's all where you put the punctuation. <laughs> <laughs> and so early on, you are a businessman. It's like you've got to do everything and you've got to be good at the craft, whatever the thing in itself is that you do in your business. But then there's this whole other thing that is business, and it's that part, that business part, that is this just beast that is constantly daunting, especially to those of us who enjoy the work that we do, but maybe can be a little overwhelmed by the business itself. I felt I wanted to be an entrepreneur like all along, and the opportunity really didn't rise. And I waited, maybe I waited too long for things to sort of align and then say, okay, I'm ready to take the risk. Terse, did you feel at a younger age that you were built for business? No. I thought I was a technician, a service tech. It was a weird progression for me. So I started out as a service tech, worked up to a service manager, then started running that business. And then it got to the point to where I just got bored with it. And at that point, whenever I kind of thought that business owner may be the next step, but I wasn't sure. I never experienced it. And the person that I had worked for, I guess he never really talked much about that side of things. So I wasn't really sure if that was what I wanted to do or not until I actually did it. And then once I did it, it was just an addiction. It couldn't stop. I mean, it's just, I was lucky enough to be put into the situation that I was in 
at such a young age that I was able to try things out and it wasn't super life-threatening if I failed because I didn't have a lot of bills, didn't have a lot of responsibilities. So like right now, I wouldn't be able to try the same things I did back then, not knowing if it worked or not. So life situations brought that forth. Did you have any entrepreneurial role models sort of around you or in your family or anything like that? Not really. My grandfather owned a landscaping business. So I guess, yes, my grandfather. And I spent a lot of time with my grandfather. If you ever talked to him, he would say, don't own a business. Like he was the exact opposite for the business advocate. And since then, I've figured out that I'm what I would consider a wartime business owner. If things are running super smooth, I get very, very bored. I think that whenever I started Icebound in January or when I purchased Icebound in January, I had intentions of starting a business in January. It was because TriStar had gotten to the point to where it had plateaued. Things would have to really change in order to grow anymore. And it was running so smooth that I was very, very bored. So it was a very easy transition for me to start the process of selling that business and starting another business. And I figured that out over the past couple of years. And it really came clear after I pulled the trigger to do the new business in January, I kind of realized that I truly am a wartime type of leader. Brian, how about you? I think there's a family history of entrepreneurism. Yeah. So my family is very entrepreneurial, but I think the word entrepreneur, entrepreneur, I don't even know how to say it half the time, <laughs> manure is such a buzzword that it almost starts to lose its meaning. Like, what is it? What does it actually mean? to be an entrepreneur and what does it mean to be entrepreneurial? And there's a couple different things. The one is the sort of willingness to not follow the status quo of things. And that is the way that my family always was. I mean, we were very almost revolutionary levels of <laughs> independence in every possible way, religiously, politically, work-wise. We always had kind of had this almost us versus them mentality sometimes, which I've had to learn where the lines are drawn as I've become an adult and had to make a lot of decisions for myself. But that does lead to entrepreneurism because the general feeling when you look at how things are done by a lot of people is that, well, that's the way things are done. So that's how you do it. And the way that I grew up, when you see the way things are done, it was always kind of like, yeah, they're done that way because people are idiots and we should do it better. <laughs> you know, Like some sort of version of that. And that sounds horrible. But yeah, I mean, my father, had an electrical contracting business. My grandfather had his own aircraft salvage yard in addition to working for a lot of other people throughout the years. But I was very influenced by my grandfather who lived next door to us. And I would go over and help him tear apart airplanes and sort nuts and bolts when I was very young and all that sort of thing. And my grandpa is just such a unique guy. Uh, and he kind of instilled in me this sense of there's always a better way to do everything. He would build his own tools. He does that all the time, even today. If there's a particular job that he needs to do in any repetition, he doesn't just take what is. He goes and makes special tools to make his trailers or to work on his he got you know, a couple carry deck cranes and a couple things that he uses for picking up aircraft. And he always is looking at a new way of solving a problem. So I think that's sort of the mindset that I've taken into business. And in one sense, that's entrepreneurial. I mean, the other side of entrepreneurism is just that you want to run your own show. You want to have your own business. And I think that's maybe a different tendency. And it's sort of the same, I guess, because in both cases, you're saying, I think I can do it better, I guess. But I think there are some different flavors of entrepreneur. Well, one thing I hear there is, is this pioneering spirit. It sounds like your family is instilled and that it's carrying on through the generations and the clashing with the norms. I'm just going to read a dictionary definition of entrepreneur, person who organizes and operates a business or businesses 
taking on a greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. But there's also a second definition, a promoter in the entertainment industry. Now, Brian, I think you're that. <laughs> okay. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that. I could see, what's the guy's name? Uh, Don King, the guy with the big hair. I think I could be that for HVAC. That'd be good. I could totally see that hair. So what about you, Bill? Because you said you've always had it. You've always had that sense, but you come from an engineering background which traditionally you don't think of most engineering-minded people being entrepreneurial. So what do you think really drove that? I think I'm real. I'll call myself a late-in-life entrepreneur. And if you carefully target that hyphen, it's a L-I-E, so my life is a lie. But let's not go there. (laughs) (laughs) That's honestly exactly what I was going to ask, because when I was growing up, I was pushed in the direction of an engineer, and then I didn't completely finish my engineering degree. And had I finished it, I know for a fact that I would have gone to work at Gulfstream and maybe I never would have tried the entrepreneurial side of things. Did that happen to you or? I had family responsibilities, children at a very young age, right out of college. And because of that, I felt like I had to keep everything kind of stable. And it was only after working in a number of different places and seeing management styles and saying, just like you said, Brian, like I can do it better. And I think Trish even said that I can do it better. I think there's a better way. So I took all these mental notes and said, if the opportunity ever arises, I have loosely formed in my mind a way of doing it better. And I'm going to pay attention to these things and really try to be true to what's important to me and what I think is important to people. And that operation or that opportunity arose when Jim Bergman was working with me at Testo and his dad started True Tech and is literally in his bedroom in his house and on Tree Lawn Avenue in Richfield, Ohio, and just got involved with those guys and helping them do things for the first couple of years and said, well, this is really, this could be it. So my wife and I decided that we could take the risk financially for about a year, maybe 14 months, if everything went like totally south. And it really never did. It never sort of even skipped a beat. It's just been going since early 2009 when I joined. Now, I know the the backstory with TrueTech, but some of the listeners may not. Was that formed because there was nothing else out there or was that formed because y'all thought y'all could do it better or what was the reason for y'all actually starting that business? I think when Jim and I got our heads together and like late in life, we kind of make an ass of ourselves when we do that and we put our heads together. But he just got sort of his mind, his scientist, technician brain wrapped around the fact you could do these things, you could prove these things in HVAC, you can make these measurements and do better work. And he and I got, I would say it was the business was built out of frustration that not enough people were using these tools, that more people needed to understand, appreciate, use these tools, and there were opportunities to create better ones. Really getting involved in the basic processes and looking at the applications. I think, yes. And Really, the only way the business could sustain would be to focus on a national audience because there wouldn't be enough local business to appreciate that until things grew. And even now, I think there's not enough. I don't feel there could be a true tech store like a Starbucks. (laughs) There's just not enough base for that. But on a national basis, the ability to help people educate, understand the applications, and then get the right tools in combination, really, it's, it's the kidding and things that we do, which I think differentiate us and make us different from the competition. We feel we can give you a very good answer within a narrow category, but the category is continuing to broaden. So that's the fun part about this now. So I want to ask really quick, uh, what changed later in life with you and Jim? Because here lately in the past, I feel like it's been a year. Nobody's really explored anything new in the HVAC industry, like um, vacuuming and stuff like that. It still feels like it's the same old thing that's been around for 50 years. I think actually, if you talk to Jim, it's like there is this, we call it the lost art of HVAC. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, I totally kidding. That's another trait that I have is I take things way too seriously. Ask Brian. <laughs> I don't get Tersh's sense of humor yet. So I was like, what? I was thinking and I, and I was thinking in swear words, but it came out like WTF is this guy talking about? <laughs> anyway, I had the driest sense of humor. <laughs> <Okay>. at- <laughs> That's so dry. It gave me abrasions. Right. It just rubbed you really the wrong yeah. way. And then Zach's taking pictures with it around his neck like a necklace. <laughs> I thought it was like a new set of Bluetooth headsets that people wear around their collars. Oh, yeah. But I would say to the point on that front, nothing is new under the sun, really. I mean, what we do, what all of us do is we take things that are ideas that have already been had and we organize them in new ways and we package them differently and we talk about them more specifically to certain applications. So there is some truth to what you're saying. Like even you're joking about the true blue hoses from BlueVac that Jim's been talking a lot about lately and uh, a lot of the stuff he has going on with MeasureQuick. But all of that stuff is really just a reorganization and a clarity and a simplification and an education of things that have been known for a long time. And Jim certainly references that all the time. And essentially everything I've been learning lately is stuff that you could find in old books if you know where to look. You actually read, and I feel like you're more of a why does it work that way type of person, technician, not just, okay, you told me I had to pull a vacuum to 500 microns, so I just pull a vacuum to 500 microns and let it rip, which I feel like is a lot of the technicians that I run into. And I feel like in our industry in the past, Well, heck, since your podcast first started, there's so many answers to unasked questions. And that's kind of the motto of your podcast. But in our industry, I feel like since that time period, the industry hasn't evolved or changed a lot, but a lot of stuff's been brought to the surface. So it's a lot easier to find. And there's a lot more information that you now know that you are supposed to know. Right, which makes the job seem harder and everything else. But I think kind of back to what Bill was talking about, that sort of comes back to the original mission of True Tech Tools, which was to bring some of this to the forefront, which makes me want to bring up the topic of idealism, because I think good entrepreneurs versus maybe CEOs, there's a key difference. A lot of CEOs tend to be sort of pragmatic and businessy, but entrepreneurs tend to be idealistic. In one sense, people who watch an entrepreneur like Jim or myself or Bill or you, Tersh, they can say, well, you're really being realistic about the scope of this business or what the industry calls for. But as an entrepreneur, you can't be realistic because if you are, then you'll never get the courage to start because the risk is so great that you have to overcome it with a little bit of internal hyperbole to (laughs) convince yourself to take those big leaps. And that can be a detriment because sometimes you maybe make uh, poor investments or put too many chips on the table at once. But to me, it is sort of a necessary piece, regardless of how conservative or crazy you might be. You always have to have a little bit of that unrealistic optimism. I feel like we've all met that entrepreneur who's not really an entrepreneur. They kind of were forced into being a business owner. And so they don't make the same decisions that we make. So As a result, they don't grow or they don't implement a lot of new things that could be risky. They do just what's safe and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's like you said, it's not, I guess, the typical entrepreneur. Yeah. And that's the difference between somebody who runs something and somebody who starts something, I think. Yeah. And so like you see that with second generation owners a lot. Second generation owners don't necessarily have the founder's vision and they may also not have the founders crazy, which sometimes can be a good thing. Sometimes you get to a business size where you need a CEO and not a founder anymore. 
Whereas a good CEO is going to generally, depending on the type of business, obviously, there are dynamic CEOs for sure, but it's generally going to be more conservative. They're going to think about the money and the shareholders and the board and all that sort of thing, less than their wild visions and dreams. Whereas we've all known so many founders or entrepreneurs who they really do, to a certain extent, chase shiny objects. I'm certainly one of those types. To a certain extent, unrealistic about the real vision of what the business can be. But I'll let you jump in here, Bill. Do you think that's true? I think this idealism versus realism, I think that sort of boils down to it's got to be you. I think the song out there, I get it's got to be me. It's got to be you. You can't copy, but you can absolutely or you must synthesize. And it's hard to say those no words or can't or will not type of thing, but you must synthesize and you must see what resonates within you. And maybe Brian, especially maybe me soon, we're approaching the point where we've built a business that can now feed your dreams. You can have the business run and sort of be the cushion for of stability, maybe with some more business-oriented people, but yet still pursue those dreams and continue to expand and grow the business. I think you don't ever have to lose that idealism, but you have to watch it. You have to see what you're made of and where it can go. I feel like that's one of my biggest fears is that I won't ever allow myself to get to the point to where the business can give back to me. I'll always be that person chasing that next shiny object. And as soon as things start to smooth out, then I start saying, well, let's try and implement this. This is a new, cool, hip, fun idea. This might work. This might be completely different and it could work and then it just crash and burn. And I fear that that's how I'm, I'll always be. So that's a work that I have to do for myself. So I'll add to that, that I'm that person that if I wasn't surrounded by people who weren't like me, I would have already done that several times. <laughs> so that's necessary. And I can't take credit for that in this case, which it sort of makes for a boring podcast because it's the question that people have is, well, how do I set myself up so that I am surrounded by those people? Well, I just happen to be born into a family of those people and then I married into a family of those people. So I've got this enormous pool of people who are very pragmatic, who keep their dreams in check for the sake of the day in and day out. Whereas for me, I'm constantly distracted by the shiny object. And I think I end up making a lot of really good decisions because of the vision, but I end up making some really terrible ones too. And the biggest mistake that I think I would make or a lot of people do make is not working on the most important thing. It's so funny. And you hear this with like online experts and experts, this expert, that I'm not going to name any names, but there's a guy who coaches people on how to make money in this trade. And yet when you ask, so he's like, yeah, I used to be a contractor. Okay. Well, so what happened? Well, you know, there was this and that, and it just kind of fell apart. <laughs> it's like, well, that's interesting. Why couldn't you make a go of it yourself? And that's so often the case. I mean, it's like people giving parenting advice when their own kids, either they didn't have kids or their own kids had all sorts of serious issues. And it's, you got to tend to the home fires. You got to tend to the things that are most important. And a lot of those things are very obvious, which is one of my big moves recently is to instruct my managers that I'm now a consultant within Kalos because I feel so confident that I could go into another company and act as a consultant and help them in many, many ways. And yet I don't think of myself in that way within Kalos. I think of myself as, oh, I got to do the regular Brian tasks. But once you kind of switch your mind up, once you get to that point, then I think you can do that. It just does require a lot of people around you and a lot of accountability to keep your head in the right place. Tersh, you mentioned a fear. And one of my fears is understanding, will what got me here keep me here? Yes, or get you there. Or get you there, right. Does it have to change? Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. 
So the answer is, I think we all know that what you do to build a business to a certain point is not the same set of skills to get you to the next point. But that's why I almost think that the business being the dream in itself is actually quite limiting. And I think some people, when they want to be an entrepreneur, they think of, I've always wanted to have my own business. I've always wanted to have my own business. I've always wanted to have my own business. And so the business becomes the dream and that limits the business because one of the things that my business coach hammered into me probably four or five years ago when I was going through a lot of business coaching with him is this idea of creating a bigger problem and that in a lot of businesses, complacency happens because there aren't big enough problems. And a big problem doesn't mean like something terrible happens. It just means that you view a problem as big. You don't allow it to be seen as a acceptable problem or just something that's, yeah, I'm weak at that, but whatever. And so when the dream, instead of being just having a business or the business, when it evolves into becoming about something that's bigger, whether it's changing your industry or seeing your people develop in a particular way. For me, that was a huge motivation because I had a couple key people that I knew were eagles. They're high-flying people. They're the type of people who would want to run their own businesses. And I recognized that if I didn't create a lot of opportunity within Kalos, a lot of growth, a lot of different avenues for them to go to, that I was going to lose them. And how detrimental that is to developing a business, because obviously nothing keeps you stuck in your business doing day-to-day tasks more than losing your best people, which a lot of businesses experience, especially with young people, because statistically they jump all over the place. And I think that's because in many cases, business owners don't make that a big problem. They don't view it as a big problem. It's sort of like, I am what I am, take it or leave it. And for me, a big problem was to say, okay, what am I going to do to keep Jesse, Nathan, Bert, these guys in my business over the long run. And that required a lot of bold moves. Do you think that the big problem that we develop is not big enough sometimes? Grant Cardone always is, everything's 10X. You get a 10X everything. And it's like, (laughs) come on. I mean, okay, this is all cliche. But the seed of truth to that 10X type of thinking is that it does create a focal point that's further than the mark that you really care to hit. I mean, it's not that you cared. I mean, you would love to hit this crazy thing, but it it's like throwing a punch is when I'm teaching kids how to golf. Every kid kind of knows, like, if you're trying to punch something as hard as you can, you're trying to punch a punching bag, you can't punch at the punching bag. You can't hit at the golf ball. You have to swing through the golf ball. You have to punch through the punching bag. And so that's where that bigger problem mentality, it gets your eyes focused past what's going on right now. And then naturally, all what it is that you're actually needing to accomplish in the short term kind of gets carried along in that bigger problem or that bigger vision. I think of it in the way is when I try to implement change at my company that I definitely create pain and you can sort of hear it happening or visualize it in a way. But the thought in my mind, and maybe needs to be the thought on my lips is, I believe you'll thank me later. And then once you start to get into that mode of moving, pushing, creating some pains out of change and the successes or the failures come from it and the learning examples come from it, then you can do more of that, that builds something. And this idea of focusing past the now is really, you can synthesize that into the word visionary. And that's like a lofty term, just like entrepreneur, it's got all kinds of connotations with it. But do you think of yourselves as visionaries? It's one of those terms that seems to have a strongly positive meaning. So it's hard to define myself in that way. Like it's like saying, do you think of yourself as awesome? Like, absolutely. I think of myself as awesome, an awesome visionary. Last time I checked in the mirror, wait, okay, let me check again. (laughs) But yes, I mean, absolutely. Visionary meaning that I have an ability to see a future that others aren't seeing. And that future, strangely enough, in the short term, whenever I set some sort of visionary goal, 
In the short term, it always seems like total hogwash, poppycock, whatever term you choose to everyone around. And even as you start to work towards it, it feels like, oh, that's unrealistic. But I can honestly say all of the things that I kind of saw in my head as far as the business and even HVAC school or whatever have actually been exceeded by reality when due process of time occurs. And I think that's the thing that we tend to underestimate is how long things take. That's generally the piece that we hit the mark wrong, but that's where setting a vision of something that's very positive, very good for your business, for the people around you. I think if you keep your eye on that, you'll actually get there and you may actually get something that maybe isn't that, but maybe is even better or or a better fit. Sometimes those are the two miscalibrations I think we make. We miscalibrate for how long it takes and we miscalibrate for the exact fit of what it is that we're thinking. So we may think it's going to fit in one marketplace vertical when it's actually another, or we may think a product is going to be best for one thing when really it has a totally different application. Those are things that sometimes get missed. But in general, when you set those visions and you focus on it, it seems to happen. I just got to add, True Tech Tools does calibrations, but not for personalities <laughs> or brains. My grandpa used to have a sign up in his shop that said, I can fix everything but a broken heart. Sort of the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Well, another thing that we miss in our industry is the budget. We go ahead and plan on if you're thinking it's going to take $1 amount. That's not always the case, especially if you're trying something new. If you are the visionary type, do you ever feel like those have become buzzwords like entrepreneur? Everybody that is just start your business, no business plan, no thought of actual business, but you look at their LinkedIn title and it's entrepreneur or CEO of their small business. Is that visionary a buzzword now? I mean, like you said, it's visionary is probably one of those titles that you don't usually give yourself like humble. You can't say that you're humble. You just have to show that you're humble and somebody else describes you as humble. Do y'all feel like that is the case? I was focusing more, my mind was on the budget aspect and there's budgeting time and money, both and people. I think there's the mix of people that's involved and that doesn't really address your question about visionary. And in fact, I avoid calling myself an entrepreneur just because I don't think of it that way. I think of it more as a business owner is what I prefer to call myself. That sounds more humble and that's enough of a title, I think. Yeah. And I'll add in on the topic of budgeting or of planning, which I think if I'm interpreting the question correctly, when you think of things like visionary or entrepreneur or whatever, There's this sense that sometimes it's like, okay, well, if I just dream a big enough dream, then my goodness, it's all going to come together. And that's not true. Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this stuff a lot, and I'm not like a huge Gary Vaynerchuk fan. He's pretty hard to listen to at times. But one of the things that I like that he talks about is that you've got to be a certain type of person, and it's not a certain type of anything traditional that you think, but you've got to be the type of person who makes things happen. You've got to do things. And so you've got to be that kind of person first. If you're not that kind of person, then you can dream all the dreams you want and have all the big visions you want and all that sort of thing, and it's not going to happen. And I think when you tie together an idea like being a visionary with an idea of something simple as planning on how much it's going to cost, the idealist, the pure idealist who isn't somebody who's willing to execute on their vision is going to fall flat all the time. And we know I'm not going to throw multi-level marketing under the bus as a giant group. Oh, no, wait, actually, I will throw them under the bus as a giant group (laughs) because we all know. I mean, we've all experienced that. Whether you've been involved in multi-level marketing or not, you've experienced the person who's just all talk and they're trying to make a quick buck. And they talk all this vision, entrepreneur, 10X stuff. But when it comes down to the nuts and bolts 
of what it is that you're going to do, the value that you're going to bring other people, whether or not you're going to be disciplined with your money, whether or not you treat people well and keep your word when rubber meets the road. They don't do those things. So you got to have all that stuff first. And you can't, it's sort of one of those frustrating things in business because when you run into somebody who talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk, you can't tell them because they can't accept it because they don't know what walking the walk looks like. They think they are walking the walk because it's sort of like learning how to play baseball by watching baseball on television. You walk out on the mound and you say, well, I'm an expert on this because I have studied A-Rod and I have studied, I said walk out on the mound and then I didn't say a pitcher. So I can't think of any pitchers. Nolan Ryan shows how little I watch baseball. (laughs) Tom Smoltz. John Smoltz. There we go. So you say, well, I can do, well, no, you have to have done it. You have to actually do it. And there's a lot of armchair entrepreneurs out there. And so there is this prerequisite. And the prerequisite is, is that you have to be a person of value. That is the thing you've got to do first. And you've got to do that in every level of your life. It's not something that you just start a business and all of a sudden it appears in you. Um, You have to have been the type of parent, spouse, worker in every element of your life and practice those skills before that's going to meet itself out as a business owner. It sounds like we should start a program called You Can't Be an Entrepreneur versus You Can Be an Entrepreneur. (laughs) Right. I think the maybe a way to say it is a visionary versus a dreamer. I think that a, a true visionary is probably going to be someone who, when you say the rubber meets the road, they have a plan. They've planned it out. They are true visionary. Whereas a dreamer is like, yeah, I want to go to the moon. And then you say, well, how are you going to get there? I don't know, but that's what I want to do. I think a lot of people who say that they're a visionary or they see themselves as a visionary, that they're more of a dreamer. They're just dreaming really big. What is it? Goals without implementation is just a dream. I feel like that's the case with a lot of people. And when you're a doer, I think it's important, at least I try to think this way, is you need to fail fast and fail cheap. There's got to be beta testing in business. You see it in products all the time, and especially with the way apps are created now that you can get something out there, put out a group of beta testers, and perhaps that needs to be the way you express yourself in business when there's a lot at risk and you don't have the cushion. That's the other thing to talk about with entrepreneurs, I think, is building a business big enough such that you have a cushion of either stable business or money to catch your failures. That's your safety net. I would add in three words that I think work together with what you just said there, which is expertise, resources, and relationships. So when you have, and that's sort of assuming all those other things, that you've got a strong work ethic and that you're actually going to do the things you say, you keep your word, that sort of thing. Those are sort of the basic prerequisites that sort of go without saying. But when you talk about fail fast and fail cheap, I've mentioned this in a lot of different podcasts in different areas, but I'd had this web startup and it was this big idea that I had. It was definitely a visionary thing in my mind. And I didn't have any expertise in it. I didn't have the necessary resources to really execute on it at scale because I just underestimated the cost and I didn't have any relationships in what it would take to do that. And so I spent money and that money ended up just being an education for me, which is fine. And it led to a lot of other relationships, but I threw a lot of money at something where I didn't have those three. Whereas when you have those three, when you have expertise, when you have resources enough to have that cushion and uh, that it's not going to destroy you if you lose that money, and when you have the relationships necessary to execute on something, then the risk is actually quite low. Because even if the initial thing you were planning on doing doesn't work out, you can pivot it. There's all sorts of things you can do because you have the requisite expertise to know what it's going to take in order to make something work. And so I mean, a perfect example of this, Bill, would be Anything that has to do with the online selling of HVACR tools, you have a huge level of expertise in. So it's much less likely that any endeavor that you make in that field 
is going to completely fall flat because you have excess of all three of those resources. Interesting the way you combine those together. And I'll jump back to something else, which we did talk about, sort of the feeling, I mean, why we're doing this podcast, we're sharing. We don't feel threatened. I'm going to put that out there. Or do we feel threatened? Or should you feel threatened? Is it part of this honor and value is being inherited inside you that you can say, I can talk about this. I'm not going to feel like someone's going to steal it and build upon it. And that's the other part I think would, you're going back several minutes here to saying, you can't copy, but you can synthesize. It's got to be within you, the elements of what you're going to build. I would ask you that question, turn it back on you and say, where do you think the line is drawn? Because this may be an area where I'm on a fairly radical side of this. Where do you feel the line is drawn between protecting your interest versus being really free, I guess, in business? I don't want to say fear-driven, but there is a certain element of concern about what you've created being stolen or copied or whatever versus the other side, which is more the side that I tilt to, which is like just outrun everybody. You just keep putting stuff out there, being who you are, what you do. And if the copiers come, they come and it's annoying, but don't worry about it. I believe in that. And I think the analogy I've had in my mind for a long time is like driving a car. You look out the windshield, you look down the road, you glance in what's on the side of you and you look in the rearview mirror. And for us, the customers are in the windshield. They're in front of us. We focus on the customer. On the side of us, helping us are the vendors. And behind us, hopefully, are the competitors to doing the things the way we do things. You got to keep your eye on what's out the side and what's happening behind you, but definitely keep focused on the customers. And that's something every business should do. Identify and serve your customers. Yeah, I think that's a good way. I don't feel any threats and like I'm revealing trade secrets talking about that. I feel very similar to exactly what Bill was saying. I did, and I still do have concerns with local competitors listening to the podcast because I reveal so much information that could be used against me in certain ways. But one thing that I like to remind myself is that there's a lot of people who know a lot of things about business, but they're not multimillionaires. They don't have the most successful business. And it's not because they don't know what to do. It's because they don't implement it. So there's a lot of things that you can tell everybody, but if they don't implement it or they don't implement it correctly, then it's not going to work. That's kind of what eases my fear of sharing things. And then I'm with Brian, so outrunning the competition. So just put it out there and, and keep going, keep trying it. The one thing that people can never replicate, or it's not just one thing, it's several, but the biggest one is your character. People can't replicate your character. And so if you're going to work on anything continuously, it should be who you are as a person, how you treat people how you make them feel when they're around you, how honest you are. Those are the things that other people aren't going to be able to replicate, even if they're the same type of person. But if they are the same type of person, then you don't need to fear them at all, because then the odds are that you're actually going to end up having a great relationship with them in one way or another, where you'll be able to benefit one another. So I guess it, kind of the way I look at it is if they're a really good person, well, then I want them to win anyway. <laughs> and they're going to be honest with what they do. If they're not a good person and they're the type of person who takes other people's stuff without crediting them or, or whatever, then I don't have to fear them because their character is going to be their downfall in the end. That's a definitely an idealistic way of looking at the world because that certainly is not always true, but it feels true enough to me that I can kind of hang my hat there. Yeah. I think that I'm exactly like that, honestly, to a fault. And I feel like there are people who have succeeded in my market specifically who are not the most honest people. And I felt like, well, karma is going to catch up with them and karma is going to catch up with them. Well, our market's just large enough to where it hasn't caught up with them. But I still feel like in the most idealistic way, 
it's going to catch up with them eventually, even if it hasn't caught up with them yet. So I feel like your character is number one and how you treat people is really is going to spread really fast. And so as long as you take care of your customer, take care of of your people, I think that you have to have competition. So I would rather have competition who are good people rather than shysters. So, okay. So real quick mention of the shysters, because I know where you're coming from, especially in our industry. There are a lot of people who aren't honest, don't run high integrity businesses in our world. But here's the thing. They may make a lot of money, but that isn't winning either. That's not the definition of winning. What are their family lives like? Do they sleep well at night on their deathbed? How are they going to feel about their life's work? Brian, you're really playing the long game. There. No, I, I'm serious though. I'm serious though, because those are the things I really, it is, but we're whole people. So as an entrepreneur, especially, we've decided to integrate our work with our lives. And it's a big part of who we are. And so when we look at our lives holistically and you think about, I, I, for example, Bill, I know your son, Billy has been working with you. How great is that? Those are things that you can't put a price tag on. And if you are a business that doesn't do business with integrity, what are you teaching your kids? What are you passing on, even if they were to work in your business or when they see what it is that you do? All that stuff catches up with you eventually. And I don't believe in karma and the the universe is out to punish naughty people. But I think the the laws (laughs) that are out there of just a human interaction and how we behave with each other will catch up to you one way or another, whether it's internal or external. And I think going back to that concept, uh, we started talking about feeling threatened and being a person of value and having honor. I, my concept's been for a very long time, even before I own my own business, is the scarcity versus abundance, is that there's enough business out there. And the second concept is it's a real market if there's competition. So that means you're onto something when there's competition. But if you believe there's an abundance of customers for the work that you're doing, it's going to be okay they're there. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And that's also part of true entrepreneurship. To me, true entrepreneurship is not just finding something that's an obvious need and then doing that job for yourself. It's more the creation of something new, even if what you're doing is a typical thing, but the way that you're doing it is unique. So like having a podcast and talking about your air conditioning business as you build it or trying to have an integrated family business, or in your case, Bill, you clearly did something that was more truly entrepreneurial in the traditional sense, which is to run an online business selling tools in a way that really hadn't been done before. So there is something to that creative side of being an entrepreneur that requires all of these things we're talking about, which is different than saying, okay, I read a book on how to start a window washing company, and I'm just going to go out and wash windows every day. Not that there's anything wrong with that at all, but it requires a different skill set, different mindset. I'm going to ask two questions to close, if that's okay. Sounds good. Perfect. And we'll go in alphabetical order. Tersh first, because on my screen it says X10 dad, which (laughs) comes after T. So two questions, and then I'll answer last. What is missing from your life as an entrepreneur? And what is added to your life as an entrepreneur? Freedom and freedom. It's a double-edged sword. There are times whenever I can come into work late. But there are also times that I have to miss a soccer game. And not all entrepreneurs are that way. Not every business owner is that way. Not They've set up their business in a fashion that they never miss a kid's soccer game. And that's kind of my goal, the freedom to be able to take off a week and go across country to a soccer tournament for kids. You have that freedom because you're the business owner, but you're also strapped to that business because of being an entrepreneur. You never turn it off. I'm at soccer games and I'm just using soccer because I'm on that kick right now. But if I'm at a soccer tournament and I'm thinking about, well, how could I improve this? If I owned this soccer complex, like how could I improve it? 
How can we make this flow better? How could it be less of a pain point for these parents? You have that freedom, but you don't have freedom. It's always there. Interesting. Brian? What's been added to my life is the ability to have a real impact on people's lives directly. I had an impact before, but now I feel like I can actually make choices and do things that directly positively impact the people that I love and the people who I work with, which in many cases, that's the same thing. So that's huge. On the other side of that coin is this feeling of personal responsibility for really big things in people's lives. That's something that I miss being without. I don't know. That's sort of a double negative there, but I miss being in a position where I could just do a good job for somebody, work real hard. And then at the end of the day, it was kind of on them what happened with it. And when you're a business owner, you don't have that peace of mind. You know that every decision that you make, especially the hard ones, is going to greatly impact the lives of other people. And that's there's a lot of weight to that. And it can be debilitating at times when, especially like if you have to let somebody go and they're a person you like. And I've had to do that a lot. Let go people who are nice people, but they're just not a fit for my business. And that's really hard because you're really misunderstood as a business owner. There is nobody other than other business owners who understand you. It's similar to like being a parent. You go, as soon as you have your first child, you leave the club of the single or of the of childless, and you go into the club of people who have kids, and only people who have kids understand what it's like. And it's the same thing as a business owner. You, you leave your friend group, people who you like and you can kind of commiserate with, and you go into this group where you're making decisions that impacts everyone's lives, and there's always going to be a separation that occurs there because they're never going to fully understand the decisions you make. And that's the challenge. Very good summaries, guys. I started to write some notes down for myself, what I was going to say last, but I can't say it any better than you did. And I would agree that that freedom, freedom is a double-edged sword, Tersh. And the freedom from responsibility for others, but also the ability to impact directly others through your responsibility and taking responsible action, Brian, that's just a perfect way to leave this. Any closing thoughts? Yes, really quick. Is there a 10X club? <laughs> There's the next 10 club. Brian's the, the chairman of it. Yeah, I don't know if you want to join my times 10 club because that means that you have to have quite a few more kids. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Four's enough for me. So, well, I guess you can't be in my club then. I don't know what to say. I guess I'll, I'll never know. <laughs> right. I, I have six. So, Tersh, you want to get together? Maybe we can get center like a co op membership. <laughs> there you go. All right. I want to thank you for coming on this podcast and we'll be talking again soon and looking forward to seeing you both at the HR Expo in January, where it seems like the world of HVAC is going to get together. Thanks again. Absolutely. Appreciate it. All right. Awesome, guys. Thank you. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. We hope you grabbed some good information from that. I found the conversation interesting. I hope you did too. If you want to keep up with other things that I find interesting, follow the podcast on Facebook by typing Building HVAC Science into the Facebook search bar. If you're not a subscriber yet, you can learn more about this podcast and subscribe by typing in Building HVAC Science Podcast or Building HVAC Science into any typical podcast apps or websites. As always, I want to thank you for listening to the Building HVAC Science And if you're interested in advertising on it, please send me an email at bill at bluecollarroots.com. Speaking of that, this podcast is part of the Blue Collar Roots network of podcasts. Within that network of podcasts, we have the Tool Pros podcast with Brent and Billy. We have Tersh's Service Business Mastery. 
And we have Brian's HVACR School podcast, and mine, of course, the one you're listening to right now, the Building HVAC Science podcast. I want to close today with a quote from one of the entrepreneurs I admire. He's a fellow Pittsburgher. It's Mark Cuban. I love entrepreneurship because that's what makes this country grow. If I can help companies grow, I'm creating jobs. I'm setting foundations for future generations. It sends the message that the American dream is alive and well. And I hope the American dream is alive and well in your hearts tonight or today or whenever it is that you're listening to this. I look forward to having you back again to hear more on the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Take care. Take care.